I was texted a cartoon last night. I thought it would be appropriate to start with it. How many of you know the BC comic in the newspapers? Oh, just a couple of you. Uh, BC is sitting on a rock and he's lamenting the fact and he says, I hate the term Good Friday. And his friend says, why? My Lord was hanged on a tree that day. His friend says, if you were going to be hanged on that day and he volunteered to take your place, how would you feel? Good. His friend turned from him and walked away and said, have a good day. My thought this morning has to do with God's deep love expressed to us through the cross. And I want to do that by focusing on the last words of Jesus as he hung from that cross. We mark Good Friday by remembering the crucifixion and the death of Christ throughout Christendom. In many places, this day is marked by processions, vigils, prayers, communion, where people recognize what Jesus did on that cross. Our problem is that we look back. If you close your eyes just for a moment, put yourself in the disciples' shoes, if you can. This week started with what we call Palm Sunday. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Just a month earlier, Jesus raised his good friend Lazarus from the grave. They were on a pinnacle. They were literally on the mountaintop. And yet Jesus kept telling them, I'm sorry guys, but I'm leaving. And throughout the scriptures that we read, and especially in the Gospel of John, we hear his disciples saying over and over again, well, what do you mean you're leaving? In fact, at one time, at one point, they even got into an argument, argument among themselves as who was going to follow, who was going to be the greatest, who was going to be the leader? And Jesus says, if you want to be a leader, you need to be a servant, as I am. The disciples were literally thrown into an emotional and spiritual upheaval. That night they wandered, they went into Gethsemane. Barclay, in his commentary, talks about the Cadron and he says during the time of the Passover that brook ran red with the blood of the lambs that were used for sacrifice 
he numbers them upwards of a hundred thousand sheep. It's a lot of blood. A lot of sacrifice. Jerusalem would probably be a population of twenty or thirty thousand regularly, but on Passover it would swell to the hundreds of thousands. All for the same purpose to celebrate the original Passover. I can hear them in their hearts. I can see them in their thoughts. Here is Jesus having been led from the Praetorium up what we call the Via Della Rosa to Calvary's place, place of skulls. Being laid on that cross and then the sound of nails as they pierce flesh. Not a pretty sound. Not a pretty sight. And I can feel how all of their hope, all of which they hoped for, all of which they thought about was dashed at the sounds of those nails piercing Jesus. And then they hung him there between heaven and earth, hanging by three nails, basically. Now, I don't know whether you understand crucifixion very well, but the purpose of crucifixion was so that a person would suffer a long time. They actually say historically that crucifixion is one of the most barbaric forms of death. Because you could actually last upwards of three or four days hanging on a cross. And what you finally die of is not the pain or the blood loss. You die of suffocation. Because as your body sags down, it closes off the throat and you can no longer breathe. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? And it is. The disciples understood that. Yet here is Jesus hanging on that cross and through the whole time he's only thinking of one thing. You and me. Hebrews says, For the joy set before him he endured the shame and the scorn of the cross. Were that joy. And while he hung on the cross he was thinking of his disciples and there are some things he began to say to us that help us understand his heart. Jesus hanging on the cross speaks his last words of comfort and assurance both to to them and to us here today. So we read in Luke 23rd chapter verse verse 33 Jesus said as he looked down on them, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. 
So my question is, who was he talking to? Who was he addressing? And I think of what Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He's talking about the Jewish religious leaders who incarcerated him and beat him. He's thinking about those who would speak out loudly when it came time to, de- to decide between Barabbas and him and they would say, crucify him, crucify him. We want Jesus crucified! And where they replied, let his blood be on our heads. He's thinking of them. He's thinking of the soldiers who are only doing their duty and in this case having uh, in their minds an insurrectionist to beat on was just, oh my goodness, all of their fury and all of their anxiety and all of their hatred would come out. And so they beat him. And scripture tells me to the point of where you could see his bones on his back. with a cross, with a crown of thorns. He's talking about them. He's talking about those of his own disciples. Think of Peter in the courtyard. How many of us aren't like Peter from time to time? Come on, let's be honest. And Jesus says to him, I prayed for you, Peter. So there's his disciples. It's it's us. He's talking about, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. The cornerstone of Christianity is found in that simple word, forgive. Forgive. And Paul would later write and say to us, we need to forgive as Christ forgave you. How important it is for us to hear Jesus on the cross. The second thing that we hear him saying, and it's in response to to those who are, are, are hanging on either side of him, the two criminals, And and it's really interesting because where Jesus stops by saying, Father, forgive them, in Luke we take up the scene of the one hurling insults at Jesus hanging there. And he says, if you are the Christ, then come on off the cross and take us with you. And the other one says, turns to his fellow and says, what are you talking about? Don't you realize that we're here for a reason? We're only receiving what we justly deserve. But this man has done nothing to deserve what he's going through. And so he turns to Jesus and says, Lord... Remember me. 
When I was reading that, I thought of this. What does it take to have faith? What does it take to have faith? The thief said, Lord, remember me. He acknowledged his guilt. He acknowledged that he was there for a reason and that justly so and justifiably so. And in a sense, I saw that the two thieves are representative of all of humanity. We either scorn or we acknowledge our guilt and ask for remembrance. Pretty simple, isn't it? And yet Jesus says to him something very profound. And it's a question I've been asked a number of times by different people at different times. Who does God forgive? Thank you, us. But who does God forgive? Does he forgive the murderer, the adulterer, the liar, the thief? Who does God forgive? Where does God's forgiveness start and end? And I hear it in these words. Today I say to you, truly I say to you, pardon me, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus took all our sins. Did you hear me? He took all our sins. I have a great deal of difficulty when people like to keep a little black book and a list of past sins. Think of Martin Luther when confronted by his own sins, wrote them out in his chambers, and at the end of it felt the imprompting of God the Holy Spirit to write across all of his sins paid in full by the blood of Jesus. Can I do any less? Can I do any less than my Savior who hung on the cross and said, today you will be with me in paradise? Then I think of the third thing he said, and this is, this is a word that we don't always understand to its fullest in John 19:26-27 and Jesus said to his mother, "Woman, this is your son." And by the way, that word woman in Greek can also be translated dear one. Okay? So don't come off with that harsh tone, woman. Okay? Please? Dear one, this is your son. And he said to the disciple, this is your mother. And we know he was talking to John. And what I see Jesus' heart and his whole focus, he reminds us on the need for a healing community in times of distress. Way back when... Jesus was born and brought to the temple. Mary was told 
that her son would pierce her heart. How do you think she felt that day standing there looking up at him? Do you not think her heart was pierced? And so Jesus looks down on her in the midst of her sorrow and her anguish and he turns to John, the, the youngest, that, the one who was closest to Jesus' heart all the time and he says to him, this is your mother. Nurture her. Hear her. And she says to her mother, mother, this is your son. Lean on him. He'll give you solace. I don't know about you, but I'm getting older in life and I have two of my sons here sitting with me and one of the things I really love is getting hugs. Hugs are a good thing. And I see Jesus saying this here to us. Be a healing community. Give hugs, not condemnation. Not condemnation. This is Jesus from the cross speaking to us. His heart, the Father's heart. And then fourthly, we hear him in both Matthew and Mark. He speaks out words which speak of Psalm 22. We heard that song, Forsaken. My Bible says that the it had turned absolutely dark from the twelfth to the third hour. Or from the, pardon me, from the, what would it be, the sixth hour to the ninth hour. So twelve o'clock to three o'clock. I've got my own times confused here. You know, I'm not Jewish by nature. But the darkness was so penetrating that everybody, it, it brought fear in the ranks. Nobody really understood what to do with it. And Jesus in that moment of time is feeling what that darkness implies. What does it say up there? Which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus understood in that moment of time what all of us have felt before we met Jesus. Forsaken. Cut off. Disenfranchised. Set apart for destruction. In that moment of time, he knew what it was to be a sinner. In that moment of time, all the sin of the world was laid on him. That was the cup that he drank from in the Garden of Gethsemane. In that moment of time, he understood our lostness, feeling it himself. And I think of the writer of Hebrews in the fourth chapter who talks about a high priest who has entered into the heavenlies, Jesus, the righteous one, who has been tempted in all things such as us, yet without sin. He's tried it all. 
And here on the cross, he tries the very depths of our humanity. And it really leads me to the last two, which is six and seven. And the three, these last three sayings of Jesus really go hand in hand. In Luke 23:46, he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. After saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I learned something very important here. I learned that in our darkest hours, Jesus shows us that hope is the light of the soul. And God can be trusted and entrusted with our lives. That's what I learn. That's what I see. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I commend my soul. I don't know where you're at, but we all have dark times in our lives. So let me read this again to you. In our darkest hours, Jesus shows us that hope is the light of the soul. And God can be trusted and entrusted with our lives. And finally, Jesus uses these words. And the reason I say these two kind of go together is because there's always a dispute as to which one he said before the other. But I like to think that he finishes with these words in John 19, 29, 30. And the reason I say that is because this coincides with the afternoon time of sacrifice and prayer. And he says three simple words. And we know them so well. It is finished. It is finished. And I think of those three scriptures from 1 Peter 1.20, which says he was chosen before the creation of the world. Chosen for what? And in Revelation 3.8, it says the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. And I really want to finish on a heavenly note. And so I go to Revelation again because John, who was there, saw something that one day we will see. And I kind of need to finish with this. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has triumphed. It is finished. He has triumphed. 
And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I've always thought this is kind of a an anomaly to me. The elder says, see the lion of the tribe of Judah. If you were to turn your eyes from a downward gaze to an upward gaze, what would you expect to see at that point? A lion, wouldn't you? Isn't that what he just said? We're coming to this table in a few minutes. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he has triumphed. He has triumphed. It is finished. But as you come to the table, this is what God wants you to see. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Yeah. When we come to this table, that's where Jesus is. In the center of his throne. As a lamb that has been slain. And that's what Good Friday is all about. The lamb slain for the sins of the world. Amen.